Brian McClanahan Show, episode 243. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to search for all those things, just go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll find all my social media buttons. Just click on those. Take you right out to the account. You can subscribe for, uh, there. While you're there, give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to McClanahanAcademy.com. McClanahanAcademy.com. It's always free to enroll, and those that do enroll do get the best deals on forthcoming courses. And I've got one right now when I say a forthcoming course, it's forthcoming, and it's really forthcoming. So if you enroll now, you're going to do a great job for yourself because you're going to. I've got a, a deal going right now that uh, only those people that have enrolled can get, uh, and it is the lowest price you will get on this class. So you want to get over to McClanahan Academy when you enroll. You get a free course, Ten Myths of American History. So you're going to get good deals. It's a win-win situation. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can uh, throw a few pennies my way, help keep the podcast going, help keep the lights on if you're watching on YouTube. You can also buy a book plate there if you want to. Uh, you can get my autograph on your Brian McClanahan books. I've got many of those too. And uh, so if you buy them from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy books, you can uh, get my autograph on them, and it's an easy way to do it. And you can also get your Brian McClanahan Show gear at redbubble.com. Redbubble.com. A lot of great stuff there. You got t-shirts, you got stickers, you got wall plates, you got clocks, you got all kinds of cool stuff. So get that Brian McClanahan show gear with my logo on it. Redbubble.com. Or just go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll see a tab that says shop. Click on that. Take you out to the website. All the stuff's there. Easy to get stuff. So uh, go on out and do that too. Great way to support the show and advertise the show at the same time. All right. Well, this is a listener-generated episode, and I've gotten about probably, I don't know, uh, 20 emails in the last uh, couple of weeks about David Barton and wanting to know if I would do a show on David Barton. Uh, and that's because David Barton's been doing the rounds again. He, of course, for a long time was the court historian for the Glenn Beck program. And I guess because the Glenn Beck program has faded a little bit, uh, Barton's trying to reach out into some other areas. Now, Barton, to, to his credit, Barton is a road warrior. The man is all over the place. He's speaking all the time, and this is this is his career. So he goes and he speaks at churches. He speaks at civic groups. He speaks at colleges and universities. They have him come out. He's on television talk shows. He does. He makes the rounds. He's made. He's figured out a way to do this and to make a nice living doing these things. And of course, as the founder of that wall builders organization, um, he's become quite successful and quite popular. Part of that is good and part of that is bad. In fact, I want to read a tweet that somebody sent to me, uh, a, a listener, uh, about uh, Barton. And um, it's this is one of the things that spurred me to do this. Uh, so this, this particular listener tweeted uh, the other day. Um, he said, I just saw this from a relative and immediately thought of you. Quote, it's amazing what happens when a real historian enters the room. I got to meet David Barton in Nashville last year. Brilliant man. 
you should check out his resources at wallbuilders.com. So, uh, and he says, look, I mean, I'm going to send this to you. A real historian enters the room. I'm going to talk about Barton's real history. Okay, now, I will say this about Barton in a positive way. I'll try to be as positive as I can about one part of David Barton. His wall builders, the whole concept of that, and it's a nice concept. If everybody could just go out and do their part and build the wall and bring back these founding principles and these kind of things, that would that would be great. Of course, Barton started out as a teacher, I think at a high school, or and he's been in the ministry. So he's not a professionally trained historian. He's an amateur historian. And I have no problem with that. There's a lot of great amateur historians running around out there. Um, they do good work. In fact, a lot of uh, your best books in, in before the 20th century are written by amateur historians. And there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. We didn't have a professional historian class, really, till you get to the 20th century anyways, uh, late 19th, early 20th century. But beyond that, um, people wrote great books that were, that were amateurs, and Barton's an amateur. So he's appealing. He goes out and he does get people interested in history, and that's a good thing. You see, all these people that I like to criticize, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, David Barton, they're all the gateway. They're the gateway to getting to the real stuff. The, the problem is a lot of people never get beyond uh, taking a sip from that first little drink of water they get from these individuals, and they never, they're never they not intellectually curious enough to follow things to their logical conclusion. And, of course, with Barton, they think this guy's an expert on everything, he knows everything, and so whatever he says is the gospel truth. But he has so many problems with his, with his history that if he's wrong about these many things, then what is he really wrong about here? And again, this is not to disparage the people that believe in David Barton or that want to listen to David Barton, and it's not to disparage the effort that he's making in trying to get people interested in the founding, but there are just so many problems with his, with his narrative that it, just, it doesn't work. In fact, we know that one of his books has been pulled off the shelf. One of the publishers said on Jefferson said, well, now we're, not, we're not publishing this anymore. It's, it's full of too many holes. It's, it's really problematic. And of course, he says, well, that's just the, the haters, the professional historians out there, the lefties that don't like me. This, this is coming from people who aren't left-wingers. You're saying, yeah, there, wait a second here. There are conservative historians who are saying, yeah, you're, you're stretching the truth a lot with some of these things, some of these claims you make. But unfortunately, he goes on to Ben Shapiro's show, or now Louder with Crowder, and he's trying, he's reaching a whole new group of gullible people who just think, yeah, I mean, David Barton said it, so it's got to be true. So I want to focus not on the Shapiro show, which gets into some of the religion of the founders and that kind of thing, but I want to focus on the episode he did with Crowder, um, where he gets into the war. When I say the war, if you're in the South, it's the only war there is to talk about. And of course, that would be the uh, Civil War. Sick. Um, and uh, that's... That's the funny part. I mean, it's when I when I read when I when I listen and read what he said. You can find this. He said these exact same things so many other places. But when you see what he says, and then you think about it, I mean, I laughed almost the entire way through this particular episode. It's twenty minutes, and I suffered through it, so you didn't have to. Um, and again, Crowder, great. He he does a good job. He's been he's he's out there uh, stoking the flames, doing some things that are important. But when he brings on someone like David Barton and says, this guy is a real genius. Barton has got, has got so many problems, I wish he would stay away from David Barton. They, we do ourselves a disservice by bringing David Barton onto these shows. And Crowder, looking for a Civil War expert, shouldn't, bring, shouldn't even touch David Barton. David Barton shouldn't even be anywhere near the camera for a, for a television show on a Civil War expert. 
right? So let's look at what he says here. Now, Barton's standard interpretation is that slavery caused the war. Slavery is the reason why we had the war. Um, and so that was almost one of the first questions that Crowder said. He said, look, uh, you, people say that the war wasn't about slavery, it was about states' rights. And so Barton says this, look, I know people say that, but go out, let's look at, let's look at the secession documents themselves. And he puts his hand on his hip. Let's look at the secession documents. I'm from the South, and I'm going to tell you, these documents, this is what we got to say. These documents say this, all 11, all 11 said slavery was why we seceded. All 11, really? Are you sure about that? All 11 said this. This is the reason why they seceded. All 11. Now, granted, the deep south states, the deep south states did say have quite a lot to say about slavery, but all 11 um no, they didn't. In fact, um all 11 didn't say something about slavery in their ordinance of secession. Now you can say, well, what about the Declaration of Causes? Well, yeah, I mean, South Carolina mentioned slavery. There are actually two Declaration of Causes for South Carolina. One said a lot more about slavery than the other. The one that said more about slavery was actually the one written by the more moderates in the South Carolina Secession Convention. The one that said less about it was written by the much more staunch fire eaters wanting to leave the Union in 1850 they wanted out. So um, this is the interesting thing about it. So he says all 11. He's already told a lie. All 11 didn't say something about slavery. In fact, we know that there were upper southern states, North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, Tennessee, all of these states rejected secession, rejected it outright. Missouri, they rejected secession outright. Kentucky. So we know these states rejected secession and that only some of them actually reluctantly agreed to do it once Lincoln made it clear that he was going to invade the South to enforce the Union. Not to free the slaves, because Lincoln very clearly said that he was not going to free any slaves. Okay, uh, But the fact is, not all 11 states said anything about slavery. Now, we know that they were the slaveholding states, and we know that these southern states had common cause, at least you know, well, all the slavery is behind it all. One of the interesting things about that South Carolina De uh, Declaration of Causes, if you look at it, they talk about slavery, yes, but this gets into the question of why slavery. Why did they consider slavery to be such an issue? Now, there is a paragraph in that Declaration of Causes where they talk about the fact that there was um, a, a case to be made for the fact that abolitionists were causing such problems, domestic insurrection, potential domestic insurrection. Uh, they were calling Southerners, you know, all kinds of bad names. I mean, they were creating an, an, a hostile climate for Southerners. There certainly was that impression. They listed, they had a paragraph for that, and the one that's more outspoken about slavery than the other. Slavery than the other. But two of the points that they made, one was about the fugitive slave law, and the other was about slavery extension in the territories. So in the podcast I did, and I can't remember what episode number it is, many, many moons ago, about why slavery was, just look it up, why slavery? I talk about this. Slavery was an important issue, but why was it an important issue? Was it because that Northerners had a moral aversion to slavery and they were simply trying to get rid of slavery? This is the impression that David Barton would have you, uh, would make on you. This is what he would have you believe, that more Northerners were moral crusaders looking to end slavery. We know this was not the case. For most Northerners, even left-wing historians admit this. James McPherson has admitted this in his book for Calves and Comrades. Okay, So 
Why did Southerners want to, if they were going to cite slavery? Well, the Fugitive Slave Clause. The fact is, that was all part of a constitutional argument. Southerners were saying, wait a second here. We've got this Fugitive Slave Clause that you're not enforcing. That's unconstitutional. So when he says, well, you know, Southerners uh, didn't really believe in states' rights. I'll get into one of his arguments there, which is so stupid. I mean, it almost, it, it's, it's mind-boggling that anybody believes this guy and has him come make a talk on anything. So he says, well, Southerners didn't believe in it. He uses essentially the James Lowen argument. Well, they didn't believe in states' rights because uh, they, uh, they, they, uh, when you look at their Confederate Constitution, it was against states' rights. No, it wasn't. And the other thing, what people say, well, they didn't believe in states' rights because they were against nullification of the Fugitive Slave Law. There's a difference between nullification of the Fugitive Slave Law and nullification of, say, the Alien Sedition Acts, or even nullification of the tariff, even though the nullification issue with the tariff is in some ways similar to that issue with the Fugitive Slave Law, and that you could maybe make a case that there's something going on here, that the tariff, this is interpretation, but we know the Fugitive Slave Clause is in the Constitution. You cannot nullify something in the Constitution. That's the issue. You cannot nullify something in the Constitution. And this is what Southerners are saying. These people are nullifying the Constitution, right? So how can we believe anything they say? The Supreme Court had come down and said, we can, we can, we can find, of course, holes in this argument. But the Supreme Court had decided through the Dred Scott case that you could not prohibit slavery in the territories. Okay, so the South is saying, well, look, the Supreme Court's decided the issue and you're still agitating for a position that the Supreme Court said is unconstitutional. So how can we believe anything you're going to do? So this came down to a constitutional crisis over the meaning of federal power under the Constitution and just not just that state power under the Constitution, but more importantly, federal power, because you see. The Supreme Court actually said, look. States, you can't block marshals from going into the states to round up fugitive slaves, but you don't. But states don't have to necessarily use state resources to round up fugitive slaves. This is this is where you it's non-commandeering. I mean, that's I think that's a pretty strong position. Uh, but regardless, the states were trying to block those marshals from even coming into the states to round up fugitive slaves. And we can look at this now and say that's important. We don't want any slavery, all that. But the fact is, this is a constitutional crisis. So why slavery? Because it represented a bigger problem in America. And that was, is the North going to not abide by the Constitution? Is Lincoln going to come into office? Are the Republicans going to come into office once they're in power, essentially? And are they going to ignore the Constitution? Well, if they do that, then we don't really have a union anymore, right? So it was a constitutional crisis, not a moral crisis, but that's the way he would paint it, and that's the problem. So that, so there's that issue. So not all 11 states listed slavery as the reason why they seceded from the union. If he gets that little problem, he there's several little things that he says that are just so wrong. And if he's going to get all these little things wrong, you, you almost become very suspicious of anything the man has to say, and for good reason. For good reason. Nobody should listen to this guy. Not that he's not trying to do a good thing, but when you put yourself out there and you get so much wrong, well, that creates a major problem because now you just become a straw man, a caricature. Nobody wants to listen to this guy, so you've created an entire mess and you've made it worse than what it was before. Um, so, and then he, he was asked a direct question about Lincoln at one point, which he almost refused to answer. Crowder said, well, look, I mean, was Lincoln 
fighting to free the slaves. And then he went to this long side uh, discussion. He said, well, I think at the end of it, I think Lincoln eventually would have fought to, to uh, save the Union with slavery. Uh, there's no mention of the Corwin Amendment at all. No mention that it was actually uh, Daniel Crofts has pointed to the fact that Lincoln's fingerprints were all over the Corwin Amendment, which would have made slavery permanent in the United States. So this war wasn't against slavery. It was against secession. Now, let's get to this issue. Did the Confederate Constitution actually prohibit secession? This is a fun one because, again, he has no idea what he's talking about here. He's, he trumps, I go to law schools. Good gosh, I hope not. I hope no law school is stupid enough to invite David Barton anywhere near its doors because this guy has no clue um, about, about the Constitution and, and originalism in any particular way. So they even put up a graphic. Well, you know, as he puts his hand on his head again, they, the Confederate Constitution uh, outlawed slavery. Uh, I mean, not outlawed slavery, outlawed secession. When, when it said, because you had to be, you could not, states could not, if you wanted to join this confederacy, you could not abolish slavery. And he points to Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4 of the Confederate Constitution. Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4. Now, the important thing about this is Article 1, just like in the U.S. Constitution, deals with the powers of Congress. Not the powers of the states, but the powers of Congress. And very clearly, it says in Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4, that the Congress of the Confederate States of America cannot abolish slavery. It says it very clearly. So yes, the central government in the Confederacy could not abolish slavery. My question to David Barton is this. Did the U.S. Constitution say anything different? Did it say that the power in the, 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 the Congress had the power to abolish slavery in the U.S. Constitution? I'll answer the question because, no, it says it doesn't say anything that has that power to do that. In fact, there's no power in the U.S. Constitution to abolish slavery until you get the 13th Amendment. If the Congress could abolish slavery, then why have the 13th Amendment? If they could just outright abolish slavery, they should have just done it without, I mean, by law, right? No need for a 13th Amendment. They could just do it. Well, everyone knew that wasn't the case. The Congress did not have the power to abolish slavery at all. And so this is why you had to amend the Constitution to do it. There's no difference between the U.S. Constitution and the Confederate Constitution on this issue, except that the Confederate Constitution explicitly denies the power. Instead of just knowing that, well, this is how James Wilson of Pennsylvania, by the way, an anti-slavery individual, who, who said, look, the powers of the Congress are the only things we list. They don't have any other powers. So if it doesn't say Congress shall have the power to abolish slavery, they don't have the power to abolish slavery. There's no difference between the U.S. Constitution and the Confederate Constitution on this particular point. Not one. The states are not denied the power to abolish slavery, just like in the U.S. Constitution. States could abolish slavery all day long, but the central government could not, you see. So there's no difference in the Confederate Constitution and the U.S. Constitution on that particular issue. Not one single difference. Now, if you take my American Constitutions course, I get into this, okay? So if, if the states could not abolish slavery, the power would have to be denied through Article 1, Section 10, which it is not, or Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution, which it is not, you see. So states don't have to be slaveholding states to be in the Confederacy. It's very clear about this. So again, another stupid mistake. How much more can you believe of this guy? But it only gets worse. 
Then he gets into the <laughs> to the founding period. This becomes really funny. So Crowder starts asking, well, what about the founding generation of slavery? He says, I'm glad you brought that up because let's talk about the founding generation of slavery. He gets into the Declaration of Independence where he says, you know, the longest passage of the Declaration was actually a, a, a section of the Declaration that condemned slavery. He does not mention that that passage was uh, rejected. Okay? He does not mention that that passage was trimmed because... Uh, of, of the fact that it wasn't going to be agreed upon, okay? Um, well, I'm sorry, he might have mentioned it at one point, and he did say this. He said, look, Jefferson writes that uh, South Carolina, Georgia, and North Carolina said they didn't, they didn't like this passage, except that's not the states. It was just South Carolina and Georgia, according to Jefferson. So, again, he makes a major mistake here. But not only that, he said some really funny things. First, he says, well, the founding generation put this in the Constitution, this idea of, uh, of ending slavery. They said, give us 20 years, give us 1808, and we'll, we'll abolish slavery. We'll deal with it. We'll, we'll abolish it after that. We'll get rid of it in 20 years. Nobody ever said that. Nobody in South Carolina or Georgia ever said that 20 years they'll abolish slavery. They never said that at all. In fact, they were the reason they didn't want this passage uh, in the Declaration of two different documents. But the reason they didn't want this passage in the Declaration is because they weren't they didn't want to give up the slave trade. Northerners didn't want to give up the slave trade. They didn't want to give up slavery. That wasn't that wasn't something they were going to do. Northerners didn't want to give up the trade either, which is why it stayed in the Constitution in 1808. Southerners were more willing to give up the trade than Northerners were. You see. So this is funny to me. Um, and he he says some things at times that are just so ahistorical. They're so historically inaccurate that you just have to shake your head. So that's one part. Then this other issue with the Constitution, I made some sticky notes here because I had to go through all these things. He brings up the three-fifths clause. And he gets one thing right. He says, look, it wasn't about three-fifths of a person. Nobody in the Constitution ever said that, nobody ever said that slaves are three-fifths of a person. In fact, he, he said that Southerners wanted to count them as a whole person towards representation. He's right about that. Southerners wanted to count slaves as a whole person towards representation. Northerners wanted to count them as zero persons towards representation. And he says this, he says, which is not true. There's, he says, uh, Northerners said, well, look, if, uh, if you free them first, then we'll let you count them as people. Nobody ever said that. Nobody ever said if you free these people first, then we'll let you count them as people. Free them first, then we'll let you count them. Nobody said that. Nobody was advocating for the South to free all their slaves and then count them as a person. Uh, in fact, what's interesting about this particular debate, there's a reason why Northerners wanted to count them as zero and Southerners as one, because the South understood. Now, Barton frames it as this is going to be a pro-slavery addition to the Constitution, but it's not. What Southerners are worried about is being overtaxed because they understood what would happen. If they didn't have adequate representation, this is why George Mason wanted to pass, uh, wanted to have an amendment against navigation laws, which are essentially laws that would favor the North over the South. If the, the fact is, if they had, if they didn't have more representation, they were going to be taxed out of existence. It was all about taxes. You see, the North knew that they had a numerical advantage in the Congress, 
if they didn't have Southerners counting their slaves. But Southerners responded, look, you count your women and children, right? They're people, and they don't vote. So why can't we count slaves? Um, it's true. I mean, if, if you count people that aren't voting or aren't, I mean, they don't have the same legal status, why don't you count them too? So I found that particular uh, argument to be uh, just so funny because he really doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, now, the last part of this, he brings up Frederick Douglass. And he says, look, uh, and most Republicans don't know what the Constitution is all about because they don't know what's in it. Most Republicans don't know about the Republican Party because uh, they, they just don't know anything about the Republican Lincoln, who Lincoln was, or Lincoln in general. They just don't know anything about it. So this is where he gets into Douglas, and he says, look, Douglas came out and said the Constitution is an anti-slavery document, whereas other people, other abolitionists said the Constitution is a pro-slavery document. I think, actually, it's, it's neither. It's not one or the other. The Constitution is not anti-slavery. It's not pro-slavery. It's actually mute on the subject because it was a state issue. So in each case, what we've done is make this entire government a national government, which is incorrect to begin with. It's mute on the issue for good reason. Now, you can say, well, there's a fugitive slave clause in there. Um, you can say there's a three-fifths three compromise in there. You can say, the, and Barton actually says, the three-fifths compromise is an anti-slavery position uh, because, you know, they were going to get one. No, that was that was never going to happen. Southerners were willing to compromise on three-fifths because uh, they thought the North was actually going to win the argument and get zero. And they were concerned about that. And, and look, the carriage tax that came out right after the, the United States government Forms under the Constitution tax only Southerners. So they had good reason to be concerned about the possibility of being overtaxed by the North. Now, uh, one of the other funny things he said, he said, uh, the Constitution requires uh, us to keep records of every speech made in the Congress. Really? It does? I mean, show me where it says that. Show me where it says that we're required to keep records of every speech because if that's the case, then they were breaking the law in the first Congress and the second Congress and the third Congress uh, because they didn't keep accurate records of every speech. They, in fact, didn't keep records of every speech even in, well into the 19th century. They didn't do this. Uh, so the Congress has really uh, fallen down the job in breaking the law. Again, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. This is the problem. And finally, this issue of Frederick Douglass. So he brings up, but then, then he says something that's really interesting. He says, look, he's got here and he pulls out these artifacts. I've got here an artifact. It's the uh, it's the first uh, platform for the Republican Party, and he's talking about, of course, the Fremont platform. They show a little book, uh, eighteen fifty six, when the Republicans ran uh, John Charles uh, Fremont uh, for president, and uh, Fremont um, was uh, was not going to win, but they certainly had a had a campaign book and they had a camp a platform, and he says seven of the nine uh, planks in this platform are on civil rights, so. This is very easy to cross-check. cross, cross check. All you got to do is pull the thing up. It's for free everywhere. You can find the 1856 Republican Party platform. And he said that the platform actually called for equal pay. Now, that was shocking to me that he said this because the platform doesn't call for equal pay. Not an even in, doesn't even hint at, at calling for equal pay. Equal pay of what? Of what? Who are we talking about? Equal pay. He says these things that don't make any sense. The man is a loon. He's a loon. Right, so uh, there was nobody calling for equal pay in 1856, and the Republican Party equal pay for. I mean, 
Women? What? No. For for blacks and whites? No, they weren't calling for equal pay. It's ridiculous when he said And seven of the nine planks were not about civil rights. Even close to it. But he says these things. Oh, yeah, seven of the nine planks about civil rights. And so Crowder's, oh, yeah, okay, okay. And you get all these people just kind of nod along. Okay, okay. It's kind of like the people that um, at the, at the uh, soccer match are now all over social media yelling equal pay or whatever they were yelling. I mean, Barton might as well be standing in the crowd and you have people just nod along. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, equal pay. Uh, but, I mean, this is how stupid people are. How stupid Barton is. I mean, come on. There's nothing in the platform that says anything about equal pay. Equal pay for what? Now, if you want to have uh, say, well, I mean, they wanted you know uh, free free soil, free labor, free men, Fremont and victory, right? Free labor uh, would mean that you get the fruits of your labor. So equal pay. I mean, if you want to if you want to be tortured and say, well, they're against slavery, so that would be like equal pay. They don't say the words equal pay. Nobody even conceptualized of that. Unless, I mean, you were a raging Marxist in 1856. Uh, but this is this is how stupid David Barton really is. And why you shouldn't believe anything the man says. Everything he says, you have to fact check. Because if you don't, you're going to be repeating some, some things that are not true. And you're, it's going to make you look stupid. Now, again, it doesn't mean that David Barton doesn't have good intentions. He does. I wouldn't, I wouldn't criticize the man for that. But I remember when I made a speech back in 2009 uh, in Texas at a church there. One of the the, uh, churchgoers came up to me after the talk and said, Do you know about wall builders and David Barton? This guy has such a reach, and he's so problematic. I mean, he says secession is illegal, nullification is illegal, all these things. He doesn't really understand the founding period, and he says he does. He, I mean, he professes to know all these things, rattles stuff off, blah, 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 blah. And this is why people are so impressed by him. But he rattles off nonsense most of the time that's not even true. He's not a brilliant man. He's a charlatan, a fraud, who's figured out how to make a career duping people into believing some history that's simply not true. That's the problem with David Barton and why everyone should avoid David Barton. Now, I know this is not a popular opinion among you know, many conservatives. If I, was, I, can, I can only understand how people would, be at, would get upset about me criticizing David Barton. Uh, but the fact is, his information is not very good, and uh, it's destructive to what he's actually trying to do. So there's my take on David Barton. And we could do more David Barton if we wanted on a whole variety of other issues. But this point of the war is very problematic because he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get it, and he'll never get it because he's too much of a Lincoln nationalist. And if you've got that in your blood... If you're a Lincolnian, if you're a nationalist, a Lincolnian nationalist, you're never going to believe the position of the South. And you're always going to say well, the war is about slavery because it fits your political agenda. And it makes you, well, Republicans are always the good guys, Democrats are the bad guys. He even got into this during this this uh, program with Crowder. So uh, anyways, that's my position on Barton. Um, I, hope you, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show, and I will see you next time. <laughs>